Welcome back to Safe Talk with Safe Start. I'm Danny Smith, and joining me today is my partner and fellow senior Safe Start consultant, Tim Page Bonarf. Tim, uh, first of all, has uh, fall arrived yet in Phoenix, or is that a relative <laughs> term, I guess? <laughs> well, in terms of the temperatures, thankfully, the high temperatures this week will be in the 80s. And I think the weather gurus are telling us that we should expect around mid-70s next week. So I'm thinking it's going to be around perfect golfing weather. <laughs> so to me, Danny, fall is a relative term. I can imagine. And in mid-70s for you, that's mean it's time to break out the long sleeves and the jacket, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> well, if I, yeah. Maybe parkas. <laughs> yeah, parkas, yeah. Yeah, what is it they say? You always pay for the weather no matter where you live maybe that doesn't apply to southern california but uh you know as i guess in arizona you always have to think well summer's right around the the uh the corner right so <laughs> uh so do i need to be uh, like looking for a spot here uh in central alabama for you or <laughs> <laughs> we, do, we well, do have four seasons they're just really short or some of them are anyway so <laughs> that's too funny don't tell sheila i said this but uh She's acclimatized to the desert, so I don't think she's going to feel quite comfortable in northern Alabama. I think she'll freeze to death. <laughs> it's so, very possible. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Danny, why don't you tell everybody what we're, uh, we're going to be up for today on our agenda? Sure. Uh, you know, and by the way, I'm not going to let you just slip by that. You blame that on Sheila, but uh, we all know uh, you don't want to leave that golf behind. Uh, we, we can pretty much play year-round golf here in Alabama, but uh, yeah, you would be exceptionally cold for some of those months, I guarantee you. Uh, anyway, let's talk about what we're going to get into today. Enough of our weather commentary. Uh, how about uh, safety versus production, the age-old debate? Mm -hmm. I, got, I can always count on you, Danny. Thank you for that. Um, so today, safety versus production. I actually have a few thoughts to kick us off. And just want to say that the bottom line is if we don't produce, we're going to be out of a job. Sure. And speaking on behalf of a safety professional, you can also kind of overdo safety or overcook safety where your processes will become unstable, unusable, or even worse, unsustainable. And of course, we're all heading to the unemployment office if that were to happen. Uh, exactly. And, you know, I, I heard somebody make a statement one time, and it was, uh, I think, very, very interesting the way they put this. Uh, and as safety professionals, I think we understand where they're going with it, too. You know, you could certainly go off in left field, but the statement was, uh, you know, the company was not built just so you could have a safe workplace. But obviously, that's a huge part of it, you know, and we've seen mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, the companies were built to make money. But safety is such a key, key part of this, too. And it ties back into performance so much. And we've seen this a lot. You know, companies that perform well in the safety arena, well, that transfers over into other areas as well. I've often said uh, your safest plant is often the one that, that runs the best or the smoothest or the most efficiently. Uh, kind of reminds me of... Uh, Paul O'Neill, not the baseball player, the, the former uh, CEO of Alcoa. Uh, some people may remember his story. It goes back a number of years. But when he first took the helm at Alcoa, they were already performing with a TRIR of 1.86 at the time, back in the 80s, when the TRIR across all industries was, was five. So, you know, he comes in with already a good safety record and kind of inspired the idea of target zero and was leading the company towards that. And they were able to get down to, and folks, listen closely to this, 0 0.06. 
during that same time period, by the way, Alcoa's market value valuation grew from $3 billion to well over $27 billion. So uh, oh. huge improvements, you know, and it big. started for him with safety, right? That's, that's right. That's big time. And he, he kind of accomplished all of this by putting safety as the company's top value, which was kind of radical at the time. I mean, I recall an interview back of his where the interviewer actually asked him, so if you can get employees convinced safety is a real value to the organization, then you ask for production and quality performance at the same time. And O'Neill's response was, no, they just give it to you. And if there will ever be a Hall of Fame for safety, I believe Paul O'Neill will be a first ballot nominee. I think he deserves it almost just for that response. You know, I mean, that was <laughs> yeah. so so poignant, right? Uh, you know, and sadly, we lost Paul O'Neill back in April of 2020 to uh, lung cancer. Uh, he was 84 years old, but and I'm with you on on the Hall of Fame vote there. Uh, it'd certainly get my vote, like I would have a vote in that. But uh, if I did, yeah, he would get it. Uh, thankfully, though, we do still have his wisdom. I recall uh, that he challenged his leaders every day with three questions. First of all, uh, are employees treated with dignity and respect every day by everyone you meet? He suggested uh, using the receptionist test, you know, basically to get to a spot in the lobby where you're not seen and does the receptionist greet the janitor and the executives differently, you know? Uh, Question two, are you given the things you need, training, tools, equipment, that really allows you to contribute and add meaning to your life. You know, and I'm not talking golf or, or fishing or wherever it is, but in your work life, you know. And finally, do you get recognized for what you do? And he really suggested that with most companies, they say things like our employees are our greatest asset. Uh, if they can answer those three questions as yes, then, well, you probably pass. Uh, now, I know some today don't like to refer to co- employees as company assets, but I think we get where he was going with that. I don't think any of us think that companies w- without great employees uh, will turn out to be a great company. You know, you got to have great folks working for you. Um, and you can't have great employees without taking care of them and really treating them exceptionally well. And I think that's really kind of at the heart of what Paul O'Neill was trying to teach everybody then. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. And what really did oppress me was he handed out his home number to all the hourly folks in front of their supervisors and managers. And, they, and he actually said, if you're not being supported in safety by your leaders, call me at my house. Yeah. Now talk about making a statement about the importance of safety on the CEO's list of values. Wow. Exactly. You know, and it's amazing to me that when you do that, well, people are still reluctant to call. I mean, I know when I was still in industry, most folks in our plants had had my cell number, but very few would call. In fact, uh, we had a policy that, you know, I was to be called any time we had a recordable injury, regardless of the time of day it was. But usually when the phone would ring around 2 a.m., uh, the first words out of their mouth were, I'm sorry, I have to call and wake you up. Well, my first is always, well, number one, it's my job, okay? And second, I'm not concerned about me waking up right now or being awakened right now. I'm more concerned about the employee that was hurt and and do we, what do we got to do to take care of them? And what do we got to do to keep somebody else from getting hurt in a similar way? 
way more concerned about that than I ever would be about my interrupted sleep. Uh, and here's the thing, you know, Paul O'Neill understood. And I think the thing he was trying to drive home there was just open lines of communication. They're, they're so critical in matters of safety. And he knew that if he could get his employees to feel and work safe, then things like well, production and quality, those would just come naturally and fall in place. Now, you know, let me jump in here real quick. I, I want everybody to keep in mind, this is during the 80s. And you remember shareholders in Wall Street, they all thought he was nuts. Yeah. And now there's a famous story after Paul's initial uh, meeting with Wall Street. Now, of course, he talked about safety, but one of the institutional investors left that meeting and advised his clients to dump all their Alcoa stocks, calling that the mistake of his career. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine looking back on that one a few years later? Well, so it would be fair, I guess, him to say Paul O'Neill had a very clear vision, right? Crystal clear. <laughs> yeah. And so... Why do we bother to talk about Paul O'Neill? I mean, well, it's really to make this point about Safe Start. You know, we talk about this state to error pattern that causes accidents, but it also contributes to mistakes in other areas as well, right? That's right. And that means the critical error reduction techniques can drive all performance, not just in safety. So in this case, you can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. You know, Paul, he would actually would have enjoyed this podcast. And I know you, the listener, have figured this out, but trust me, most of your colleagues have not. Yeah, now that comes down to the kind of the question of how do you get folks like, you know, plant managers, shift supervisors, uh, you know, executive team members, how do we get them to really come to that, what I call that aha or that light bulb moment? Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me, you want, you want to take a shot at that one? I, I'll give you a pretty good example here. Um, when you think of EHS, Environmental Health and Safety, and the H for EHS stands for health, mm-hmm. and this has received very little attention, well, until COVID, say 19 months ago. So until COVID, <clears throat> safety has now gotten a much bigger voice. Sure, that's right. Yeah, I did a podcast a while back with uh, David Bianco from Epiroc, and uh, he he. Re- mentioned in that that one of the key takeaways that he had during the pandemic was that safety really had more of a voice at the table than ever before and you know with that seat at the table if you will really comes a well a tremendous responsibility and tremendous opportunity as well mm-hmm, that's right so while we as safety professionals are in the spotlight more um, I mean more than ever really it's an excellent opportunity to spread this message about human factors and the impact that we see human factors play on performance errors. Might it be production? It could be quality or even other mistakes. As your friend and mine, Jack says, you know, some of those mistakes don't get people hurt. They just cost us time and money. Sure. Maybe a little bit of embarrassment, you know, putting back on my operations hat from years ago, you know, as a safety person, you know, if you just, came into safety and not through operations, which I know that's the way a lot of people do this. Uh, You don't necessarily become production and quality experts overnight, Uh, but a lot of our listeners know that through Safe Start, uh, well, you can begin to see how human factors can really contribute to issues in those areas. You know, if I were in our listeners' shoes, I think I'd almost play it this way. You know, I've been thinking about this particular production issue or perhaps this quality problem. And 
maybe what if we looked at this in terms of uh, something a little bit different? Instead of looking at the equipment or the process or the procedure, why don't we look and see what's going on in terms of human factors in this and just really see if there's a solution there? Are, are we missing something from the human factors perspective? To me, it's almost kind of a, I guess you could say just a soft sell. I know we don't want to use the term selling safety, but well, it is a bit of what we're doing, right? It's kind of what we do. Um, yeah. Now, we're not saying plant managers and executives are all like this. That's not what we're saying at all. But we all know people where the best approaches kind of sprinkle ideas around them, sure. kind of let them come to the realization that your idea has some merit, and even better, make them think that it's their idea, sure. because kind of now they're kind of fighting for it, and yeah. they feel like the, it's, it's their ownership, and that's what they sure. want. Yeah, uh, reminds me of that great saying, you know, uh, there's no limits to what a man can accomplish if he doesn't care who gets the credit. Mm. Uh, you know, and uh, that's exactly what we're talking about here. You know, sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's dropping little hints or little seeds and just, you know, giving them a bit of time to grow and not getting frustrated when they don't grow up automatically. But, uh, you know, let's be clear here. We're not saying that non-safety people are, are bad, you know, because uh, that's not what we're talking about, right? Oh, heavens no. Uh, but some are. Well, easy now, easy now. <laughs> yeah, they are people after all, though, right? But, uh, you know, uh, we all can become very siloed in our respective disciplines. Uh, and some people then begin to only think in terms of what the, you know, what their normal solutions are. They only think about one solution because, well, that's maybe the one that's always worked in their particular area of expertise, right? You're kind of saying, don't come across as a know-it-all. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's the thing, you know, um, I used to, uh, I used to refer to, uh, to the way I had to do things at times was uh, managing from managing your boss, I guess you could say, uh, or managing your production managers, you know, and not necessarily somebody that you had direct uh, authority over or a direct leadership responsibility for, but uh, well, maybe it's just, uh, you know, again, planting those seeds and letting them think ideas are theirs and, Sometimes that's quick. Sometimes it may be like two or three days or weeks later. And you know, <laughs> they, I love it when they come back to you. It's like, hey, I had an idea. What if we did such and such? And you just sit back and in your mind, it, you don't say it, but you think it. Yeah. Man, great idea. I wish I'd thought of that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are the great folks that you want around. Not necessarily the know-it-alls, because yeah. of, course, of course, you don't necessarily want a know-it-all. But the folks that come up with those ideas, incredible. Yeah. Uh, let me add one more piece to this puzzle here, Danny, if you could reach out to those production quality and operations manager one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. I believe they will become great allies to those systems. Sure. I think that's, that's a huge important piece. And I, sometimes, you know, when you get them in a group, it might be group think, yeah. but the one-on-one -on -one connection, um, that's a big way to go. Sure. Well, and you know, it goes back to that uh, that famous radio station we've all heard about, WIIFM, right? You know, you always feel like it should be the WIIFM. <laughs> but no, what's in it for me? You know, and we we look at that as a from a personal standpoint. But let's be honest, you know, when it comes to organizations of uh, you know managers, supervisors, everybody, you know, from the top of the organization down to the bottom. 
we all are looking for what's going to make my job easier, what's going to make my job safer, what's going to make me more productive. And if we can, you know, kind of get that message across to whoever it is that, hey, we can be safer, but yet make this job more efficient for you at the same time. That's just a win-win, right? So I guess let's, let's wrap this up a bit here, you know, kind of back to where we started. I guess the idea of safety versus production, um, does it have to be safety versus production? You know, if you take a human factors approach, I think you can have, kind of have your cake and eat it too, right? Not only can you have both, but you can have so much more. I mean, you can get improved quality, better communication, a more positive culture. Heck, you can even see some of those silos start to break down a bit and, and really so, so much more, right? Well, great point. And I think that is a great place for this podcast to end. And that's a great, great, great spot to end on, Danny. I agree. I agree completely. So thanks, everybody. And if you found this episode helpful, please share it with everyone. And uh, we'd appreciate that. And I want to say thank you to my partner, Danny Smith. And on behalf of the entire Safe Talk with Safe Start team, thank each of you for listening. Um, until next time, I'm Tim Page Botter. Thank you for spending some time and some of your day with us. And see you down the road.